the uh, uh, fear was was struck in, in the the heart of the uh, of you guys out in the congregation, and he had not taken into account that I was going to be singing into his well-trained and uh, well-tuned ear without any musical accompaniment drowning me out. <laughs> I thought that I was going to come back from vacation um, well-rested, uh, and uh, Molly uh, was not feeling real well, and we, it to the point that I took her to Brandon Hospital last night at 8 and I th- we got home after 2 a.m. <laughs> so uh, she is doing better and um, but uh, I kind of feel like I'm running on fumes this morning my wife is out of town she's taking uh, some of the youth up to YXL uh, camp up in Chattanooga and also to Ridgehaven camp up in uh, Brevard North Carolina so I know that's where some of our people are this morning if you would open your Bibles to John chapter 4 we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Originally, I was going to go for all 26 verses when I realized that my sermon was getting on toward 13 pages and I had not gotten past page, uh, verse 15. thought, well, uh, better wisdom would be to cut it in half and... Um, and continue looking at this passage next week. So, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near a field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, may, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray. Father, 
We ask that you would illumine our minds and our hearts that we might uh, not only understand this very familiar passage, but that you would apply it, seal it to our hearts. We ask through Jesus' uh, name, Amen. Since this is Independence Day weekend, it might be fitting to quote that famous first sentence from the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. You know this sentence well. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This sentence was written because of the the tyranny of King George of England. His oppression of the colonies was so onerous that the colonies were fearful of their uh, physical safety. And they were also devoid of basic rights and liberties that they felt deprived of the ability to seek that happiness which is fundamental to all humanity. So the Declaration of Independence goes on to argue that it's not just the right, but also the duty of the colonists to rebel against the king. But today, most of our country reads this sentence as their own declaration, not of independence, but of selfishness. Most believe the sentence guarantees each person the freedom to pursue the type of life that they want that will make them most happy, uh, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the morality. This is not what this sentence has given us the right to pursue. And for a Christian, it is never a godly attitude to have, to have this attitude of the declaration of selfishness. As creatures created in God's image, we possess the innate the inherent rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness rightly understood. But as for our moral choices, our deepest desires and our responsibility to others, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God completely. He created us. He is our King. He purchased us to be His own dear children by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God completely. If you belong to God, then God has rights over you, correct? And so He might require of you things that you might not want to do. He might require of you uh, things that might inconvenience you. He might require of you things that you might find objectionable. So how should you respond when God, who owns you, requires of you things that you might um, rather not do? Well, obviously, you should entrust yourself to God and ask Him for the help, for His help, to obey Him. Why am I going on uh, like this? Well, we're going to learn in a couple of moments that God will give you the opportunities 
to testify about Him, to uh, witness. And those times might be inopportune times. They might be times where you are not really in the mood or, or feel like you have the time to, uh, to proclaim Him or to witness um, about Him. Will you declare your own uh, uh, declaration of selfishness? Or will you do what you might not want to do in order that you might obey God? Jesus was with His disciples uh, going back a couple of weeks on the plains outside of Jerusalem. Uh, because He's there in the population centers, large crowds are coming out from the cities to see Jesus. The crowds are being baptized by Jesus' disciples. And so not surprisingly then, uh, the Pharisees began to become upset. And they become they begin marching out of Jerusalem to come and confront Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Jesus, instead of getting involved in a controversy, his time, of course, had not yet come uh, for him to be crucified. Instead of uh, engaging in conflict, he withdrew. He went north up to Galilee. And the easiest route of travel would have been for Jesus to head off toward the east a little bit over to the Jordan River Valley and then head up uh, the Jordan River to the region of Galilee. Uh, that was uh, certainly the, um, the easiest route to go to Galilee, but the more difficult route was also the shortest route. And it was through Samaria. Uh, the Jews would not travel up uh, through Samaria, first of all, because uh, actually, I guess it would be a secondary reason, because it was easier to go up through the Jordan River Valley. But really, their main reason was that they uh, were so eager to avoid the Samaritans that they would go out of their way. They considered the Samaritans to be undesirable people, to be unclean people. Uh, just a little history. The Samaritans, uh, well, what happened was in the 722 B.C. thereabouts, so I guess 740 to 722, the Assyrians invaded Israel and uh, they took all the, the wealthy out of Israel back to Assyria and left just the, the poor. Uh, and they, the poor were very easily manageable. And so the Assyrians left them. The poor uh, of Israel that were left behind began intermarrying with the Canaanites and the, the uh, Phoenicians and, and Philistines and everything like that. And so uh, they basically, as the, the ten tribes, they basically disappeared. And so they, they became the Samaritans. The area of Samaria... Uh, were part uh, were areas where the ten tribes had uh, of Israel had lived, and so the Jews considered the Samaritans as unclean, and the the Israelite religion had morphed into something else in Samaria. 
uh, it had uh, adopted some of the Canaanite practices. And so not only were they considered unclean because of intermarrying with other peoples, but also their religion was considered uh, heresy. And so it is for this reason that Jesus, instead of going up the Jordan River Valley, He went directly through Samaria. For Him it was necessary that He pass through this area that scandalizes the Jews. It was necessary that Jesus go to those who were considered unclean. And there's a reason why I'm making such a big deal about how necessary it was for Jesus to go through Samaria. And the reason why it's a big deal is the Bible makes a big deal about it. Look at verse 4. And He had to pass through Samaria. The ESV is accurate here, the English Standard Version, but I think it soft pedals a little bit the translation. Uh, the beginning of uh, verse 4 in Greek reads, Ede de Atum. The word ade, or, or de, um, but it's in the imperfect, so ade uh, means it, is, it was necessary, or it was binding. So verse 4 could read, and probably should read, it was necessary, or it was binding on Jesus to pass through Samaria. Here's the point. God had people in Samaria that He desired to redeem. And so it was necessary for Jesus to take the difficult, the dry, the dusty, mountainous route to go and seek and save these lost, these unclean people. It is necessary for me to ask you, do you desire that the lost hear the Gospel? Does it break your heart that there are people passing into eternity without the grace of God? Does it register with you at all uh, that there are people who are dying without Christ and are going to be separated from Him for all eternity? If it does, then let me ask you this question. Are you willing to go out of your way to tell others about Christ. And if it's difficult to, for you to explain the Gospel to another person, then are you willing to give them some literature? Are you willing to invite them to church where they might hear the Gospel? Are you willing to invite them to one of our small group Bible studies or a WIC event where they might make some relationships that will eventuate in them hearing the Gospel? Are you willing to inconvenience yourself to talk to others, to witness in whatever way that, uh, that you can. Because there are people who are dying without Jesus Christ, who are passing into the judgment of God without the grace of God. It's interesting to read um, verse 6 here in our text. Remember that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. John chapter 1 says that Jesus created the entire universe. Colossians 1 says that in Jesus all things hold together. In other words, He holds all things together. 
But verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 6, says that he was wearied from his journey. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The Lord of creation is wearied by by a several mile journey. This is a perfect example of the dual nature of Christ. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He has a fully divine nature and a fully human nature. He's not schizophrenic. He doesn't have two persons. He's one person, but he has a divine nature and a human nature. This is the mystery of the Incarnation. We've got a lot of our um, members traveling this week. Last week we had a lot of um, members in our congregation traveling. When you've been on an exhausting trip, what do you want to do when you've arrived? Do you want to chit-chat with strangers? I wouldn't think that you would. But in spite of his exhaustion, Jesus takes the opportunity that God had given him. And not only was Jesus exhausted, but God sent this person across his path. And this person, for lack of a better way of putting it, was a very difficult person. Uh, Look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, most commentators focus on the cultural barriers that made it surprising that Jesus would be talking to this woman. Um, In the interest of time, I'm not really going to go into those cultural barriers. I I do want to mention them. Uh, First of all, a Jew would not be caught speaking with a Samaritan, much less asking a favor of a Samaritan. But here's Jesus talking to this Samaritan. Please give me a drink of water. And then, to add on top of this, she was, she was not only a Samaritan, but it's also obvious, she was a woman. Um, devout Jewish men would close their eyes when they walked by a woman in public. And the Pharisees had a saying, and it went like this, He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna. Word Gehenna is another word for hell. <laughs> so uh, they looked down upon women uh, in, in the culture of Jesus' day. And so Jesus is just busting right through these cultural barriers. He's speaking to the Samaritan. He is asking her for a favor. Uh, We don't know if other people are around. Certainly his disciples had gone. And here he is having this conversation with uh, with this woman. See, Jesus does not simply look... He doesn't look upon her as being a Samaritan or as being a female. He sees only a person made in the image of God. Are there groups of people or individuals that you believe are beneath you? 
If so, the Bible says you are judging people with evil thoughts in your hearts. You are showing yourself to be prideful and unloving towards people that God has made in His own image. Now, I said this woman was difficult, but it was not her race or her religion or her gender that made her difficult. Um, But even though she proves herself to be difficult, and even though Jesus is exhausted from His journey, He engages her. And as she starts challenging Him and being rude to Him, He continues to engage her. Uh, He puts up with her rude remarks, and then not only that, He offers her living water as a free gift from God. So here's what happened. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaritan, from Samaria? For Jews will have no dealings with Samaritans. So uh, she opens up um, the conversation after he asks for a favor. And here's what's happening, I believe. She perceives that Jesus really does want a drink of water. She can see Him. He's just exhausted. He's sitting there, tired as He can be, probably very dusty. She knows that He would really like some water to to wet the back of His throat and His lips. He's maybe a little dehydrated. And so she knows that she has something that He really wants. And instead of happily going and and, uh, giving him what he has asked, uh, she begins to challenge him. And she decided she's going to give him a hard time. Let me translate what I believe she said in verse 9. Here's what I think she's saying to Jesus. This is the subtext. When she says um, in verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? I think the subtext is, you need to grovel a bit more if you want some water, you hypocritical Jew. Why is it that you, a Jew, are asking me for a favor? Instead of retaliating or responding in kind, which would have been probably very tempting to do, Jesus turned the tables on her, turned his cheek, uh, and then turned the tables on her. Verse 10, Jesus is telling her, you are the one that needs the water that I have, uh, in essence. Jesus answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What was this water that Jesus had? Um... First of all, we learned that this water was the gift of God. It was not something that this woman had to purchase. It came at no cost to her. Uh, We know the background. We know that this water did have a cost. This water is not free. This, This water, this living water that Jesus is going to give her free of charge came at the cost of His own blood being shed upon the awful cross. 
his this this living water that he is giving her free of charge cost him the wrath of God for our sins being laid upon him. There was an incredible cost. And yet he is offering her this living water as the gift of God. Are you spiritually dry? Are you thirsty to drink from the deep wells of fellowship with God? Are you struggling spiritually and feel like you are in a spiritual desert? Then here is the free gift of God. Listen again to verse 10. If you are longing for this this living water, He said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. That is the promise of God. What does Jesus mean by this living water? What is this living water that He is offering? Well, Jesus is using Old Testament symbolism here. Isaiah 55, 1, we already read it earlier in the service. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Ezekiel 47 paints a beautiful picture of living waters flowing out from underneath the threshold of the temple, down the steps of the temple, out into the street of Jerusalem. And after a several hundred feet becoming a stream and after a few hundred more feet becoming a river that no one could cross. And this this river takes a turn and heads down uh, southeast towards the Dead Sea. And it flows into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, in all its insipid waters, this, this these waters that are... Are, have so much alkaline in them that no living thing uh, can exist in the Dead Sea, all of a sudden, the waters begin teeming with life. And everywhere this river flows, trees of life spring up on the sides, bearing a new crop every month. And so Jesus in referring to this living water that He is uh, eager to give to this Samaritan woman. He's drawing upon Isaiah 55, upon Ezekiel 47, upon other passages in the, in the Old Testament as well. Notice also in verse 10 that Jesus told the woman that He was the source of this living water. He said, I will give it to you. Also again in verse 14, uh, whoever drinks the water of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus is saying, I am the source of this living water. If you were to look in um, uh, Revelation chapter 22, there's a picture that is um, that is built upon the picture in Ezekiel 47, but there's no temple there. There's a there's a trickle of water flowing down, and it flows out into the streets of Jerusalem, it becomes such a river, a great river, no one can cross. A tree of life is so great that it's on one tree of life is 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 on both banks 
of the uh, river of life. But there's no temple. What is the source of this water that is flowing down? The source of the water, it says in Revelation 22, is the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jesus is the source of this living water. And what Jesus has yet to reveal to her is that He is not only the source, He is the living water. And by His death on the cross, Jesus became an eternally springing source of living water as He pours His life into us by the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at this concept of the Holy Spirit pouring His life into us when we get to John chapter 7. This woman, instead of receiving Jesus' offer of living water, she objects several times. First she questions His offer because He had nothing with which to draw water. Then she objected to His statement that He could have better water than was, than was, than was what? than was in the well that she could draw from. Her well, after all, was, was dug by Jacob himself. And then she shot this little line in verse 12. Are you saying that you are greater than our father Jacob? Thought she had uh, landed a zinger there. And so, um, listen to the woman in, in verses 11 and 12. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And if you can hear the sarcasm, I think that's the way she said it. And then verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did his, as did his sons and his livestock. I think the reason she's being so bold and so rude is that she's motivated by the fact that that uh, she knew he wanted this water so badly. And so he's going to stay there and endure her ridicule. Well, Jesus ignores her ridicule and made his offer again. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then the woman responds in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I can't decide how to read verse 15. Is she still being rude? Or is she beginning to believe Jesus and does she really want this living water at this point? In other words, you could read verse 15 this way. Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, give me this water so I won't be thirsty again, so I won't have to visit this well every day. Go ahead, give it to me. Thinking, of course, that he would it would be impossible for her to for him to give her this this water. Or we could read it this way. Sir, I do want this water. It sounds too good to be true, but please give it to me. You have promised that you could give it to me. If I were to be pinned down, I would guess that it was the former. I would guess that she's still being rude here in verse 15. 
I'm going to save verses uh, 16 through 26 until next week, as I've already said. So I'm going to move uh, directly into one of the applications that I believe the Holy Spirit wants us as believers to take away from this passage. God has given His Son for us. Not only for you to trust in Him and through Him to have eternal life, but He's also given us His Son in order that we might proclaim Him to this lost and dying world in which we live. I'm going to return to those questions I posed earlier in the sermon. Do you desire that the lost hear the Gospel? Does it break your heart that there are people passing into eternity without the grace of God? Does it register with you that all who die without Christ will be separated from Him for all eternity? Christ went out of His way to make sure that He met this woman. He was willing to receive the scorn from those who might have seen Him talking to her. Uh, He, a Jewish man, talking to a Samaritan woman. He was willing to suffer her ridicule and her scorn. What are you willing to suffer if your heart does indeed break for the lost? Let me ask it another way. Are you so satisfied by drinking the living water that Jesus gives to you that you are jealous for others to drink also? I want you to look ahead to John chapter 4, verses 34 through 36. Um, This is still part of the, the passage. He's still in Samaria. His disciples have just come back. And Jesus said to His disciples, verse 34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent Me and to accomplish His work. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper might rejoice together. I happened to look up this uh, passage um, earlier this week in one of my old Bibles. And I had written in all capitals with an exclamation point right after it in the margin. Memorize. Because I wanted these, these verses to become such a part of me. All around the word memorize, I would written these little asterisks all the way around it. And then I wrote this underneath. I must tell people about Jesus before they die. And then another exclamation point. It is easy to forget that every day the reaper is drawing his wages and that people all around us are dying without Christ. It is God's will that people die. But He wants the, the, the reaper um, and the, um, the one gathering fruit for eternal life to rejoice together. In other words, He wants His people to go out and to share and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to a lost and dying world. The Bible says that Christ has equipped His church to go. 
and make disciples. He has also given the church His power and His authority to make sure that disciples are made. The question for us is, do we believe it? Are we willing to go? And then my last statement is this. The dirty little secret, as we're going to find out next week uh, from this Samaritan woman, is that people really do sense that they are spiritually dry. They sense their need of the living waters that Christ offers. But their rage against God so blinds their desires to that deep need inside them. And we need to be bold in proclaiming Christ. And God will open their eyes to those deep desires that are inside them. Let's pray. Almighty God, so fitting that we sang holy, holy, holy to begin this service. It draws our minds back to the passage in Isaiah chapter 6 that inspired that hymn where Isaiah being undone by his own uncleanness and by the lost and dying world around him, that he cried out, Here I am, send me. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Here we are, send Westminster Presbyterian Church. Here we are, send each one of us as individuals to our neighbors, to our families, to our friends, our co-workers, even to strangers, that we might proclaim our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might point them to these living waters that ever flow from Him, that well up to eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.